You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. He came on the scene at a time when the American people were losing confidence in themselves. And his confidence in them allowed this nation to begin to get its own wheel moving. And that was the most important thing that he could bring. Maureen Reagan. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Well, this is Presidential Relatives Week on Now I've Heard Everything. All week long, my conversations with people related to some of our former presidents. Today, my interview with Ronald Reagan's eldest child, Maureen Reagan. Born in 1941, Maureen was the first child of Ronald Reagan and his first wife, actress Jane Wyman. By her late teens, Maureen was already becoming involved in politics to some degree. She worked on her father's campaigns, even ran later for Senate and Congress herself unsuccessfully. In 1989, just a few months after Ronald Reagan left the White House, Maureen wrote an admiring book called First Father, First Daughter. And that's when I had the chance to meet her. So here now from 1989, Maureen Reagan. I want to ask this up front and get it out of the way so we can move on to other things. Are you bothered by bad reviews? Well, if, if, if somebody doesn't like your book, is particularly They're loud. <laughs> but particularly when it's a personal book like this. I mean, if, if, you know, if you write a book about the history of Southwest Africa and somebody doesn't like that, you can say, okay, fine, they didn't like, care for my research, something like that. But when you write a book about yourself, your family, your father, and somebody doesn't like it, does that bother you? Well, they're allowed to not like it. I, I, I never suffer from the delusion that I had to be loved by everybody or I probably wouldn't be in the business I'm in. Um, but I think that when someone takes their own preconceived ideas and, and instead of reviewing the book, um, writes an editorial against Ronald Reagan or against me or against Republican politics in general or against the times in which we live and then says, this is a review of this book, then that is freedom of the press being not a license to misrepresent. I wanted to ask you about one in particular that I've seen that I'm sure you have too, the New York Times Review of Books, hmm. uh, in, in which they essentially, and I'm sharply paraphrasing, said that had we had this book in 1980, we would have known what the following eight years of a Ronald Reagan presidency would be like because this is what your life with him was like. In that we, we see uh, the, the, his Teflon nature that things uh, roll off, uh, nothing seems to hurt him. We've, uh, this reviewer said we see evidence of his delegating to other, everyone else, the, the short hours that he keeps, uh, all the things that we've heard all throughout the eight years. Uh, see, I, somehow I don't see that in the book, you see. So, so I, I don't understand exactly <laughs> what the woman was reading, that, that she got all that. She also basically, and I will paraphrase, said that um, I was sucking up to the old man mm. and, um, and, and by that uh, was not placing blame for any problems in my life. Well, anybody who knows me knows I don't do that. I never have done that. And I would never have written a book that did that. There are things that show that there were warts on all of us, on me, on my parents, on everything. I had, I, I had a fairly lonely childhood. I'm not the only person in, on earth that has ever done that, but I don't blame anybody for it. And at a time when I probably still did blame them, I would never have written a book. So 
it I just think it makes us kind of interesting people. It sort of paints all the colors into the canvas. And the thing that I found most fascinating is the woman who wrote that review, her sister and I knew each other. They were from California, and her sister and I were, were friends growing up. So I find it utterly fascinating that she is so incredibly intelligent and, and overwhelming with all this, this knowledge at this time. But that's... It's her right to do it, and that's fine, and I hope nobody read it. I hope they read my book instead. <laughs> Why was the time right for you to write a book? Because it came to the end of a very important period. Um, the, there are lots of things, I hope, that go on from here, places to go, people to see, things to do. But coming to the end of the White House years seemed a perfect time to sort of put all of that in perspective. And what I wanted to write about was what happened during those years, what happened during this 30 years of politics. And in order to make that happen, I had to go back to the beginning. This is about two people. He started here, I started there. They worked together, they worked apart, but they both made a comparative difference in how the political process worked in their own arenas over that 30-year period. And it just seemed to be the perfect time. It's so fascinating, the study in contrasts between this and the the, uh, and I'm afraid I've forgotten the name of it already, Patty's book a couple of years ago, the novel, that was supposed to be all fiction. Isn't it amazing? I've forgotten, too. <laughs> <laughs> I still got it at home, but I, I, honestly, I honestly can't remember the name of it. Home Front. You're right, you're right. But, <laughs> I didn't read it, but I think that was the name of it. What a sharp study in contrasts. How could, how could the two of you see things so differently? Well, I, maybe it was the time in mm. which we lived. I'm a product of the 50s. And uh, the, the whole work ethic, the whole um, process of development was different in the 50s than it was in the 60s. Um, we were taught, uh, erroneously in some cases, that you could be anything in the world you wanted to be as long as you were willing to work for it. Um, by parents who had lived through a depression, um, who had lived through a world war, and we were people who were born uh, either before or during that war. And suddenly, we, and, and we, we lived through a period where we saw women go off to build war machines and uh, the Rosie the Riveters. And, and it, so it was not unusual to us that men and women were both getting educational opportunities. And we were the generation that suddenly came to adulthood and said, oh my goodness, women can't be anything they want to be in this world, no matter how hard they're willing to work. Well, wait a minute, boys. And the boys finally had to turn around and go, oh, darn, they found out. <laughs> and that was where it all started. We're the generation that started this cycle of the women's movement. We're the, the sort of forgotten generation. We're the ones that are always passed over for the yuppies. It always goes 65, 55, 35. <laughs> You know? and, and the people in between just sort of disappear. And we're, we're that group because we were kind of, we were small in generation. But we were also um, people who a lot of us uh, consider ourselves to be workaholics and overachievers. And, and, and I think we've made a difference. After the short break, Maureen Reagan has a surprisingly clear prediction of what life is going to be like for millennials. There are now two new ways to listen to Now I've Heard Everything. Full episodes are now on YouTube. Just search for Now I've Heard Everything. And if you're on TikTok, watch for the promos we post about new episodes. Tap the link at the bottom of the video to hear the full episode. 
Now back to my 1989 conversation with Maureen Reagan. What kinds of things did you have to confront in in your own background to in order to put them down on paper? And I, I know I, talk, I talk to a lot of people who write memoirs, who write autobiographies, and they didn't realize going in that even though they knew that they were going to have to look into themselves, turn inward, and really examine things. They didn't know how deeply they were going to have to dig, and they didn't know what was going to come out. Did things come out about you that you hadn't even thought about before? No, not really, because I think I'd done a great deal of self-analysis over the years. I had problems to overcome. Um, None of us comes out, and I think this is going to be a problem, and maybe my book will be something that can help people, but there's the problem is going to be compounded in years ahead now that we have so many two career families where children born now or who are being raised now are going to come to something that was most unusual when it happened to me and that is you suddenly come to adulthood without a real sense of self it's very hard to come out of family of, of really successful um, celebrated people and have a real confidence in your own abilities and some people have um, committed suicide as a result of it I mean it was it, it, it was that unusual a situation and as a society we're gonna have to deal with it parents are gonna have to deal with it schools are gonna have to deal with it and we as people are gonna have to deal with it because it's just gonna be the norm now and uh, so there I was ahead of the curve once again but those were things that I had had to work through over the last uh, 35 years 40 years and as a result of that, I, I kind of knew the places that I called the the um, uh, the vegetables of this. You know, there there were places they talking about the Nairobi uh, UN conference and talking about what happened in politics over the last few years. That was that was the the chocolate eclair. That was the cheesecake with a strawberry. <laughs> that was oh yeah, the vanilla ice cream. You know, that was terrific. <laughs> but when it got to talking about um, uh, what happened when I was a kid, um, how I felt when I went to boarding school at the age of seven, um, why how that sort of lack of confidence and sense of self led me into a very bad marriage that um, was physically abusing as well as emotionally abusing. Um, and I had to come to all grips with that myself in order to be the person that I wanted to be. So the, I, I always called that, that was the, the, the lima beans and the, and the carrots, the peas and carrots of the whole thing. And, and I, I would kind of, I'd say, okay, if I do this much, then i got to get to that. Yeah. Carol Burnett told me um, that writing a book was like giving birth. And since I haven't, I had to believe her. And she's right, I'm sure. Well, given, I guess, the statistics that we hear now about the incidence of spouse abuse, we should not be surprised that you went through it, should we? No, I don't. I don't think we should be surprised. It, it, it is uh, pervasive in this society, and, and unfortunately, it's a learned experience. Um, uh, women who, as little girls, saw abuse tend to think that that's the way they're supposed to be treated. And in addition to that, we had a, a motion picture industry for many years that depicted uh, women as victims. My own mother did more movies playing a victim than almost anybody I've, I've ever seen. And, and yet yeah, these were very strong women, but they were always... There was oh some of the things that happened to the perils of Pauline, it was it was incredible if you look back on a retrospective of Joan Crawford or Ginger Rogers or Jane Wyman or any of them Loretta Young any of them you know they were they were heroines, but they were not heroic. 
They really were victims of circumstance and people and society, and, and um, it was very frightening. Um, and then you have people who are abusers who either have seen somebody abuse women uh, growing up and think, well, that's how you act, um, or were abused themselves, and now we're in a position where they can do it to somebody else. And those cycles have to be broken. It's very important. Mm. What is there? You know, there's been so much written about your father. I mean, just books, articles, magazine. He's going to be written about for many, many years to come. But what is there? I certainly hope so. <laughs> what is there that we don't know about him that you think we should? Well, I, I don't know that there is really a, a lot that, that in pieces is not out there somewhere. But as I said to him, the mark of a successful administration is the numbers of books that are written about it. But they're supposed to be favorable. <laughs> so maybe mine could start a trend. <laughs> you didn't like Don Regan's book? No, I wasn't real fond of it. <laughs> As a matter of fact, one thing I've never done in my life is to throw a book away. Never have I done that. I have been known to give boxes of books to libraries and Salvation Army and schools and everything. And my husband thinks that, that I, I really don't ever give them away because we just have books all over our house. But there are several books that have been written about this administration, about the Reagan administration, that I will admit I threw away when I finished. Yes. <laughs> You have a pretty good handle, I'm sure, by now. What you read about him that is clearly you know is untrue, and what you read about him that's mostly true. Have you ever read, any, read anything about him in one of the books or in a magazine article that's just, nah, it can't be true? And you ask him about it later, and he said, yeah, it is. No, I don't think so. I, 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 don't, I don't think so. Um, there, again, over the years, there have been uh, so many things um, written. Um, but I, I don't, I know, I, I don't think I've, I've found any one of those. How do you think history Oh, except it, when 1960, when I was, when I was uh, licking envelopes for the Republican Party, and this young man said to me, I just think it's terrible that your father is a Democrat. And I looked him straight in the eye and said, my father isn't a Democrat. And he said, well, he certainly is. And I called him on the phone and said, are you a Democrat? And he said, yes. And I said, what'd you do that for? <laughs> <laughs> Neophytes, you know. <laughs> right, right. There's nothing worse than someone new to politics. There's just <laughs> nothing worse. It's like sugar to a diabetic. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think history will see your father in years to come? I think history will see that the success of his presidency um, was, was twofold. He came on the scene at a time when the American people were losing confidence in themselves. And his confidence in them allowed, their, allowed this nation to begin to, to get its own wheel moving. Um, and that was the most important thing that he could bring. But in addition to that, he totally changed the political landscape. For the rest of this century, no one will run for office and tell you they're going to take more money from you. They're going to talk about how little they're going to take from you. We will not in this century again see people look to Washington alone for solutions without partnerships with the private sector and communities. And we will never again talk about arms control because we now have arms reduction. Maureen Reagan, 
died of cancer in 2001. She was 60. Now you can get a copy of First Father, First Daughter by clicking on the link in our show notes or by going to our website, heardeverything.com. And we may earn an Amazon commission if you make a purchase. Heardeverything.com is where you'll also hear my interviews with two other presidential relatives, my 2011 conversation about poetry with Caroline Kennedy. That's one of the things about poems that is so special. They're short, they're intense, they travel easily. People tend to think of poetry as being like an old-fashioned, little obscure, weird pastime. And my 2011 conversation with the granddaughter of another president, Herbert Hoover, Margaret Hoover. What I realized as I was writing the book is that actually Herbert Hoover is a millennial spirit. 80 years before the millennials. This, I think, channels the ethos of the millennial generation. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us everywhere you listen to podcasts, including now YouTube. And thank you so much for listening. Next time, as Presidential Relatives Week continues on Now I've Heard Everything, the youngest brother of our 37th president, my 2009 interview with Ed Nixon. Do you think President Nixon was a liberal? President Nixon was a poker player. He would challenge those who had very liberal ideas and um, decide to test them because he felt he had the power to reverse some things if they made the wrong track. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thompson.